Welcome to the Responsible Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Carol Sanford. I'm your host for this podcast and also the author of the now award-winning book, The Responsible Entrepreneur, Four Game-Changing Archetypes for Founders, Leaders, and Impact Investors. The way I see the world is that there really are three different kinds of endeavors that take on entrepreneurship and how they get carried out. Therefore, the subtitle, Founders, Leaders, and Impact Investors. The founders create a platform where they can make a difference. The leaders use someone else's platform to make a difference. And the leaders fund one or more of those so that they can contribute to making a difference. But they do have one thing in common, which is why I call them entrepreneurs. In fact, they have a couple of things in common. The first one is they all have something I would call personal agency, which is when they want something to happen, they move personally to make it happen, and they have a strong sense of internal locus of control. That's a psychology term that really means I don't blame anybody else when things go wrong, and I'm willing to take the credit for when I do something amazing. So all entrepreneurs have a strong sense of both of those, that personal agency and that internal locus of control. The second thing that they have various forms of is something called external considering. Now, external considering is what my grandmother used to talk about when I was a kid and creating mischief, and she would say, didn't you consider anyone else besides yourself when you, would, you did that? And of course, I hadn't. Therefore, lack of external considering. Um, in the entrepreneur world, that varies. So an ordinary entrepreneur, and I shouldn't say ordinary because I love entrepreneurs in every and all form they come in, they may or may not be thinking about others in the sense that they're changing the world, but every entrepreneur is asking the question, how do I change the life of someone I'm going to make a product for or provide a service to? How do I really benefit them? We have a new form of entrepreneur in the last couple of decades, which has become quite well known, which is the social entrepreneur. The social entrepreneur is the one that really goes after the social and ecological issues and problems and creates a business solution that ameliorates those problems. But the responsible entrepreneur goes a whole nother level because in the case of the social entrepreneur, what they're doing is plugging a gap, in a sense, putting their thumb or, uh, in the dike to stop something that is creating agony in society. The responsible entrepreneur backs up and says, wait a minute, what's causing that? Where do those problems and where do those issues come from? And shouldn't we change the system, the whole system? That is the stories that are in my new book, the stories of 15 situations and people who have created the level of change that is significant at the level of an industry, at the level of a social system, at the level of a cultural paradigm that tends to exclude people, and at the level of the way we govern. I also don't believe in using the term entrepreneur, although my dear friends Gifford and Libba Pincho created it. I understood the concept, but it really tends to mean, the way people use it anyway, a manager within a company who decides to create or promote an innovative product uh, or maybe marketing method. I really think that when we're talking about an internal entrepreneur, that is someone who's using the platform of a business, that they are taking risk that are significant, maybe not with their own money, but with their own reputation and maybe with their own uh, self-worth. So here's the three things I want to talk about for what it means to be an internal entrepreneur using someone else's platform. And then I'm going to give you a little bit of an interview I did with a woman who is totally amazing about carrying these three things out. 
The first thing that an internal entrepreneur does is that they really pay attention to who is the audience, including the entire stakeholder community to a business. Who is it that they are and how would they need their life? Could we enrich their life and make it more meaningful and fulfilling? So for anyone who really wants to make a difference, they have to start there. I often get questions by email or when I'm speaking, and people will say, but people don't want to listen to me when I want to make a change internally. And I said, have you shown them how it affects the market that that business is serving? Because the minute you do that, you have the attention of all of the other leaders inside of an organization. Secondly, what is it that the business could possibly do that could really bring about new value to that market? You know, what would you need to, or could you, disrupt in terms of the patterns that the company has been carrying forward with that if you disrupted those and brought in a different way to engage and go to market could change the life of the people who decide whether you stay in business, sometimes called customers. The third thing is, and this is where the entrepreneurship steps up, what about you, what in you, what you care about, what you see that comes from your own essence, your own uniqueness, could you contribute to filling that void, to stepping into that disruptive process and really bringing something the company is not doing now? In my last book, I called these promises beyond ableness because that's what they, I call them when I'm working inside of a company, helping them rebuild them. One of the biggest stories I told in that book is of an entrepreneur who turned out to be a general manager for Colgate. He was in South Africa just at the time that the new South Africa was being birthed. And he looked out and his answer to the first question about what did the audience or market need, it was a working democracy because they were transitioning from an apartheid form of government to one where everyone would participate. And so he said, in answer to the second question, you know, what's possible for the business to do? He said, why don't we run this business and engage this business in a way that it advances democracy? Couldn't we just build a great nation while we build a great corporation? He committed to that in a way that accomplished having black leaders at the top of the company one-fifth of the time that it was required in the Constitution. What that means is the Constitution required that the management ranks reflect the percentage of the population in regard to its racial mix. So since 95% of Africa was black Africans, management needed to look the same. And of course, most people were throwing up their hands and screaming, saying they're not educated, you know, we can't possibly do that. And Colgate, Stelio Sesos, this entrepreneurial leader just said, why not? Just because people haven't been to school doesn't mean they aren't incredibly intelligent. So he made a commitment to as rapidly as possible, I don't think any of us knew it would only take six months, but as rapidly as possible to not only move those leaders to the top of the organization, but then to quickly be able to move governance out into the townships. So we developed capability of people who were internal to corp the corporation of Colgate so that they be could become members and leaders even on Mandela's governing councils in each of the townships. That was a promise beyond ableness because who knew that one corporation could end up setting the stage so that Mandela could say to every other corporation, I don't want to hear any excuses. In my new book, I have still a couple more stories that come from my colleagues, my clients, and my students who are making huge differences at this same level. The person that I'd like to share a little bit of an interview I did some time ago in preparation for the book is with Anna Lee Killian. 
Annalie Killian worked for in South Africa at that same period of time at BHP Billiton, which was the largest, still is, the largest aluminum, or as she says, aluminum producer in the world. She helped move the company in a way that it became part of contributing to the change that needed to happen. And when she, you hear her describe her title here, you'll understand why I call her an entrepreneur. She's now in charge of uh, worldwide communication for a company in Australia called AMP Financial. Again, it's one of the largest, uh, and it is the largest one in Australia. She has been creating a conference for them called Amplify, which is the latest, or the largest, I guess. It's, it, it's the largest business and innovation conference of its kind, and it's now internationally attended. So listen to these wonderful parts of the interview, and then I'll come back and I'll let you know how you could learn more about Annalie and hear more of the interview I did with her. We can talk about first where you work, where you hold court right now. Uh, um, I work for AMP, which is uh, one of Australia's oldest and most eminent financial services institutions. And in that role, uh, or in that organization, I hold the title of Catalyst for Magic. Oh, <laughs> love that. <laughs> Catalyst for Magic. Yes. Yeah. And who came up with that name? Well, I did. Yes. It was a little bit of a, it was a, a bit of a tongue-in-cheek uh, attempt at testing safety and testing the waters way back in the early 2000s because I was sort of a head of communication and then I was asked to add um, the intranet and then I was asked to add knowledge management and this stuff couldn't fit on my card, head off, blah, blah, and blah. And I just thought, well, I'm going to just make up a title that can fit on my card. And what do all these things have in common? They have in common that it's all about the magic that we get from employing human beings as opposed to machines. And my job is to find the magic that's already there and catalyze it. And that's why I came up with this title and I put it on a business card and I put it on my email signature and I thought, oh, I'm going to get a phone call any minute to say what you think you're doing. <laughs> and it never came. Uh -huh. And I just like, it was one little victory over the system. Uh -huh. And in a way, I needed to prove that it's safe to take risk because if I'm to lead innovation um, and you can't be a little bit playful and you can't take risk, so that very small act became a bit of a story. It's now a legend in the company and the chairman runs around and tells, you know, introduces <laughs> me very proudly to people as um, meet our catalyst for magic. Oh. And so now I think it's, very well established that we need zebras in the herd of wildebeest so that, you know, it's, it's about inclusivity and valuing diversity of thought. And what are some examples of that catalyst for magic that you've taken on and what are, you know, what's that produced? Um, well, I think the most, my, I'm proud of a few projects, okay. but the, the one that's best known um, is the Amplify Innovation and Thought Leadership Festival that I established in 2005. Mm -hmm. And it just started as an experiment that was born out of real failure and frustration. <laughs> and so um, that's one of them. Um, and that's now grown into the largest business and innovation platform in Australia. So that was over a period of um, 
uh, roughly eight years. Well, talk about how that works, how you set that up and what happens there. Okay. And what it does for people, because it is not only well-known in Australia, it's well-known in the States, too. Yeah. Um, well, it was a kind of... It, it started because I found that I was always inviting people to come to the edge with me outside of the company to see where the innovation was happening. Mm. And people were saying well, I'm too busy or I can't make it or this or that would happen. And one day I had invited a whole bunch of people to go to the Australian Technology mm -hmm. Park with me and they were all my innovation champions. And on the day, not a single person turned up and I felt like, mm -hmm. you know, failure. I mean, I didn't even have relationship crowd with these folks and, you know, there was an outage and so on. But there is always something. And that afternoon I had a one-on-one -on -one with my boss and I said to her, if the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and thinking that you're going to get a different result, then I'm obviously going insane because I can't just keep upping the rah-rah and more communication and you know be more enthusiastic about innovation. I have to do something different. So I said to her, if I can't get Muhammad to go to the mountain with mm -hmm. me, we're going to bring the mountain to Muhammad. And so she said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, that exhibition that I saw of Australian startups at the technology oh, park, yeah. I want to bring that inside the company and I want to set it up um, in such a way that when people go to their morning coffee break and go to get coffee, that they can't ignore it. So we even built an obstacle course on the first time. So people couldn't actually leave the building without going through this exhibition. So we we did a very deliberate pattern interrupt. Uh -huh. And that was the first event. It was a one-day event. The, the, the event focused on um, largely exposed by startup entrepreneurs. And we had a very small speaking program attached to that. And the event was really successful, so much so that um, we decided that we'll do it again. But what did we learn from the first mm -hmm. one and what could we do better? What we learned from the first one was that it was too rich in one day. Um, mm. People couldn't take the whole day away from the office and so they missed out on a whole lot of things. So the following, uh, we decided we'll do it every two years, not every year. So the following uh, event was in 2007, and then we spread the talks out over a period of one week. Uh -huh. And the expo component we kept for one day, the final penultimate day. And that allowed staff, because this is inside a working company during office hours, uh -huh. So we put the talks on before work, during the lunch hour, there were two rotations and then one at the end of the day and that happened every day. And that meant staff could literally attend, you know, up to uh, eight sessions without really even interrupting their work. And we got a really, really good response. Yeah, that. what did people say? What did they do with that? Oh, they were at least, they, at first they were surprised. So, you know, people didn't expect that they, you know, the the offer was so bizarre and, you know, un, unusual that we really struggled to even get cut through initially. And people would say, um, yeah, but really at the office? And so eventually after the first day, the we have a high tower, office tower. 
people started talking to each other as they came out of the session in the elevator. And within the second day, the session started really filling up because the water cooler effect happened. And people were saying, oh my goodness, I've just come back from the most amazing mm-hmm. talk and I'm so inspired and I'm going to do this and that. And so they would say, oh, you can go and, you know, you, th- this person is speaking again because we asked okay. our speakers to alternate so that we could... You know, people could catch them on different days. Well, as all good consultants do, I did a bit of scope creep, and the next year we just kind of expanded the program and, and so on. We also innovated on the theme. Every Amplify, we introduced a new innovation or a new twist. So give us an example. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, one of the things that doesn't work very well in Australia is um, the crossover between academia and business. There hmm. doesn't seem to be a very good hmm. way for business people to find out what people are doing at universities and vice versa. Um, universities don't have a channel to find out what business people really need and want. So we created a thing called the um, um, Bright Sparks uh, pitch fest. So we invited PhD students to um, to come and tell us what they're working on and why it would make the world a better place and why should we care about that. But we did find in early um, engagement, I found that a lot of the material was in such deep academic speak that it didn't oh. speak to an uh, it didn't speak to a business audience. So I suggested that um, we would match the PhD students with um, comedians and storytellers <laughs> and media trainers. Huh? So as part of applying for this process, you had to sign up that you would work with um, a communication coach which specialised in storytelling. And the other thing was we compressed the time frame, so they get 90 seconds. Wow. to tell the story of what they're working on to a live audience in a bar. And um, this has become one of our most popular events now. So we give all finalists who make it to the final cut a cash prize and the winner gets you know, a, a $5,000 cash prize towards their studies and for the effort of you know, being willing to um, come and share their story with us. So that was one of them. So let's go back a bit to the company. Yes. which loves that you're doing this. Tell us more about what they do and what effect all of this has had on the business in some way and then carry it on out how it's had an effect on the community. But let's go back to the business itself first. Yeah. Um, I think the, uh, the biggest um, change that I've seen since we introduced Amplify, Amplify started as a, a fringe idea. Mm-hmm. And it kind of literally had to go from the edge to the center of the business. So around about 2009, which was in our third Amplify Festival, I think we got the real breakthrough where the leadership uh, got it and went, this is is a culture transformation um, initiative and the CEO really got behind it. and decided to, you know, use it to help shape the culture. As a result of Amplify 2009, which had a theme, Everything Connects, it was about 
the um, the interrelationship of everything. That was the theme of Amplify 2009, and it had a lot of um, um, messages around the fact that a business in itself cannot be disconnected from what is happening at the edge. It needs to be connected to the marketplace and that each and every person in the company is a way to connect into the marketplace. So, you know, the AMP behaviors were redefined following Amplify 2009 and there are two elements that made it into five behavior statements of what we want as a culture that I think Amplify was very instrumental in shaping. The first one is um, we wanted people to be creatively restless. I think that we must be one of very few financial services organization in the world that has that as a behavior aspiration. So say it again, creative what? Creatively restless. Creatively restless. Yeah, that's okay. the behavior right. that we seek from okay. our staff. And right. that means okay. like you're not satisfied with the status quo. You're always seeking for ways to you know, do something different and better. Right. Yeah, and, and that creativity is valued um, and innovation. Um, the other one is um, being connected. So it was very much... Um, it, it really was a, a change in, I saw a big change happening following that year of how people started looking outward from an organization that was traditionally very inward looking. Mm-hmm. You know, we were a mutual for most of our uh, life as a company. We were a 160-year-old business, but for 150 years, we were a mutual. And that means... So it means that, you know, it was not a publicly listed company. The company belonged to the members. It was like a co-op kind of a scenario. So um, the company only listed on the stock exchange and went public, you know, uh, about, I think, late late 90s. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, It was before my time. But so um, this cultural behavior of being connected to the marketplace Mm -hmm. really took uh, an emphasis after Amplify 2009 and has continued to grow and in that time that I've been with AMP I can't tell you how it is night to day in terms of going from being very inward focused to becoming very connected and um, less silo thinking. Yes. So you're changing society inside the company. Yes. You literally have changed the social system. You're changing many of the paradigms about how people learn and what they think learning. Can you feel this creeping out into anything beyond your company in Australia? Well, I think so. Um, what do you What do you think you see so far? Uh, I mean, you've well, done five or six of these now. Yeah, five. Five, okay. Yeah. So... Um, I think Amplify has become a a bit of a model of um, corporate learning. So lots of people come and look at how we do it. Mm, Okay. Um, But we also we also innovated ourselves. So instead of just doing it once 
every two years we've introduced a monthly talk because mm. we want to keep the momentum going um, mm-hmm. and so once a month there is a Samplify series uh, next on the 15th of November we've got a talk on you know the behavioral finance and the, the rise of behavioral cognition uh, blending into business decision making mm-hmm. um, last month we had a session on design thinking for sustainability by John Thackeray, um, and so that continues. Um, the other thing that we do that um, is slightly more unusual is that we also run creativity workshops for the sake of creativity. Mm. So many, there are very few companies do this. They kind of get, oh, you're going to bring a thought leader on a topic that's business related, but right. to, you know actually run a photography workshop or a storytelling slam or a poetry slam or a music jamming session hmm. um, is more unusual. And okay. so, um, <laughs> so some of the things you asked me, so what's the ripple effect? Yeah. So we get so much evidence in hiring interviews of mm-hmm. people saying, well, when they ask, so why AMP? What, why did you decide you want to join AMP? people would say, well, a company that invests as much in their learning and I've heard about the Amplify Festival or I, you know, I've seen that, you know, you won an award for this or that or the other and um, it's very much helped our employment brand. Um, Amplify isn't a customer or a product brand play. Um, Mm -hmm. It's really about, um, you know, an organization that's trying to renew itself and transform from the inside out. And um, we have a transformation program in the business going on as we speak. So a lot of these ideas that have been planted over many Amplify festivals are now being totally integrated into completely redefining the business. That's probably the the simplest way of answering that. So... One more question, I think, maybe two. Um, In both of the stories that you've told us and in your adult life, you have worked for someone else. But in some way, you've never worked for anyone. But, you know, what it is you believed in. You are an internal entrepreneur. And a lot of people would think, well, I'm supposed to figure out what my job is. What advice or what would you say to people who are inside companies who have a longing, I would say, and, a, and even a calling to do something that could really matter. What is it that they need to work on and who they are or something about, or how would you say um, they could move in a way that they could make as big a difference as you, uh, you've been able to do? Um, I wish it was as simple as advice for everybody because I think that um, the first piece of advice I would say is pick your boss well. Mm. If you're working for somebody that uh, doesn't want your light to shine, you really need to change because no advice that I can give will make a difference. Yeah. Um, however, there are many good people in large corporations and I've been fortunate to work for many people who have helped to create the space for me, but at the same time, I think I've also earned that space. So my advice would be earn your play space. Um, Two things there. One is 
do the job that you're meant to do well enough that you create a space for value add on top of the stuff that is not part of your job, but if you did your job well and you had a bit of extra time or a bit of extra energy, you did this thing that was like really wow or amazing um, that you enjoyed doing and that you could demonstrate was good for the company or made your boss look good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is not a bad thing. So that that would be the one thing. And the other one would be, um, I don't I don't think it helps to work from a mindset of, oh, I'm entitled to, somebody should look after my career and, you know, let me, give me an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Make your own opportunity and always look at how can you serve. Um, the things that I like doing, I always find an angle of how could I make, how could I do this thing that I would love to do and in some way make it work for the company as well. You know, serve the company um, and its cause and its mission. Most companies have a noble mission. I find very few, there's, you know, uh, maybe other than the, uh, let's not go there. Right. Most companies exist because they provide a service that is useful to society. Mm -hmm. And if you can find a way to... work in your passion zone in such a way that it also helps the cause of the company, it's not really that hard Mm -hmm. to create the job that you want. Great. All right. Thank you very (laughs) much. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed that conversation I had with Annalie as much as I did while I was having it. She's quite an extraordinary woman. And if you would like to know more about her work, you certainly can go follow her. It's Anna Lee Killian. You can follow her on just about every social media there is. Since she is a communications expert, she knows how to cover those things far better than I do. But you also can hear more of this interview and see a video form of the interview. And if you come to my website, carolsanford.com, you will find there a list of the other podcasts we do, plus a way to get my book, The Responsible Entrepreneur, Four Game-Changing Archetypes for Founders, Leaders, and Impact Investors. And it has Annalie Killian's story, plus another story of an internal entrepreneur, this one from Google. What you will also find there on my website is an ability to take a quiz, and that quiz is great fun because it lets you determine which archetype you tend to gravitate toward, and when you get back an email telling you after you've answered the questions where it tends to fall, where you tend to fall or to, uh, to uh, choose over all of the others, you'll also learn what else it is you could know. And hopefully in the meantime, you will keep joining us back here on the Responsible Entrepreneur podcast, and we'll see you next time.